Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSat certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. I'm dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and one that he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was was just pornography. Um, It ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course you would feel traumatized by hearing all that information. And I got to tell you, Stephanie, that's a staggered disclosure. That's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period, making you feel insecure, unsure, and unsafe. So what we got to do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment. You know, with this COVID thing and with the fires and, you know, with the hurricanes and the flooding. And then on top of it, you either have been dealing with or just found out um, about the betrayal. And I just want to say it can absolutely positively feel overwhelming. I know that because that's what my clients tell me. That's what we find in the surveys at AppSats. You know, we really encourage our um, listeners to go to AppSats.org and fill out the partner survey so that we can gain more and more and more research on what you need, what your biggest issues are, um, what topics you would like us to talk about, And, you know, what's on the mind of partners? Now, the truth of the matter is we've been able to complete and compile lots of research. For instance, we know that partners want to know when their husbands are acting out. They would rather know and know that he's at least come clean and been truthful than to not know it all. And there are organizations that really believe that partners can, if you will, enable an addict. We don't believe that. Not in the least. We know that you didn't know what you didn't know. We don't call you a co-addict. We don't 
tag you as a codependent, we know that you're probably traumatized. Not everybody's traumatized, but you're probably traumatized. And you may even need additional um, support from a therapist, coach, a support group, a class. Uh, We are just working diligently to create more and more curriculum at APSAT that will help you in your time of need. I was doing another um, Facebook Live with my buddy, Marnie Breaker, and Marnie was one of the founding members of APSAT. She's no longer on the board. She's out in California. But you may have heard her um, podcast. People really like it. And we were doing a Facebook Live to find out what do people want to know, what do partners want to know, and what do couples want to know about how to heal from partner betrayal, how to heal from sex addiction, how to heal from compulsive problematic sexual behavior. And many, many questions came up about the disclosure, just like my intro uh, suggests that If you haven't had a disclosure, then you aren't sure that you absolutely have the truth. And if you don't have the truth, how do you know how to proceed, right? But not every partner wants to know the truth. I had an email that uh, from a woman who said, boy, things are a mess in my life. My husband and I both have individual therapists, and we did this. We did a disclosure, and he actually lied on it. Uh, he told me that a certain behavior had ended at a certain point, but then later revealed it carried on right up until discovery. Now, she, the partner, wants a second disclosure. But the therapist don't want to do it. She wants a second disclosure because she wants the full truth in order to move forward. But the therapist just really believes he's not at a place to be honest. And they are not willing to put forth the energy or the time to recreate a scenario where he may not be being honest. Now, I don't know who the therapists are, and I I don't know if there are other agendas. I mean, there could be. This woman really, really wants the truth. And the therapist are not on board with how he's doing, and so they are not wanting to be part of the process. And so she basically says, Carol, what do I do? Um, And then she thanks me. She says, you know, your asset um, 
podcast is a lifeline for me. So we really appreciate that. That's what we want to be for you. And what I advise her to do, if they have the money, was to um, pursue an intensive. There are plenty of people that are APSATS trained that provide intensives. That's three or four day intensives where they do all the disclosure information, all the gathering of the data, all the questions from the partner. There's typically um, a polygrapher on board may polygraph the person one or two times during the intensive. I don't know if you've ever heard of the intensives, but they're really, really great. They're not cheap. Sometimes they're three, four, five, six, ten, ten thousand $10,000. But if you shop around, you should be able to find something that might work for you. And that's what I'd recommend. Or she may have to look at the APSATS directory and see who else might be willing to do disclosures. Right now, more and more people are having to do online disclosures. And let's face it, that is not the best way to do it. A disclosure, whenever possible, should be done right at the time, um, face-to-face, You know, we say after an addict has 90 days recovery from acting out behavior. That's what we like. Um, But a lot of people aren't doing face-to-face. A lot of clinicians and coaches are still not comfortable with being in the same office space with another couple. So you got to find somebody who is. I know for me, I'm hybrided. And that means that some people want to see me face-to-face and I go into work and I see them face-to-face or I have them come to my home office. Some people don't want to leave their house. They don't want to be exposed to me and anybody that I might have been exposed to. And so they prefer telephone, phone, FaceTime, those kinds of things. But an intensive is what I'd recommend. Now, we have a lot of different things going on right now. I'm real excited because there are lots and lots of resources available to you, the partner, um, and there is this free event. If you go to my website, Coach, you can um, get a free ticket for the summit. And I want to tell you, this summit is going to have some of the most incredible incredible speakers in the world. Um, And they are going to be talking about partner betrayal and couple healing. And uh, we have Barb Steffens, who was the president of the organization, Sherry Kepper, who wrote Intimate Deception. I'm going to be on there. Um, Really excited to be part of Jake Porter's group. And um, really feel like this is a free opportunity for you to get more information. And we get brownie points if we uh, get you to sign up. So I would love for you to go to my website, which is Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and just sign up for that free event because it is, I'm not kidding you, it's absolutely amazing, and it's going to be 
an event October 15th through the 18th, and the speakers are amazing, and we're going to be all doing it online. We've got MJ Dennis and Stephanie Carnes and Catherine Etherton, and she's from the UK, and Barbara Lowe, Jonathan Daugherty, Marnie Free, of course, Jake Porter, Connie and Bob Spiegel, Andrea Rogers, Emma Gray, Jenna Reimerson, Janice Covell. Oh, so many of these people are AppSats people. Um, and so we've even got couples that are going to be speaking. Lynn and Julie Calhoun, Conrad and Kathy Reynolds. We've got the divorce coach, Sarah Morellis, uh, Michael and Kristen Carey. They're my, my peeps from Indianapolis. They run Men of the Battle. Dan Drake. <laughs> so please, please, please go to my website, Best Help with Carol the Coach, and sign up for this free event. Uh, Jake Porter would be very, very happy and I can't say enough about this thing. It's called Choose Connection Summit. It's about intimacy, and you know, he didn't put empathy, but I know we're going to be talking about empathy too. And I have another special offer. You know, if you um, want a coach, AppSax has some of the finest trained coaches in the world. Unbelievable. And... I've got a coach that's now just getting started on partner betrayal. She has a love for this work. She's amazing. I have worked with her personally. And, you know, coaching, I can't go into prices. I can't tell you how much coach is or how much a clinician is. But coaching is about 100 bucks for 45 minutes. And sometimes they sell you packages where you can – I just talked to a man today, and he said, yeah, I got three months um, of uh, coaching – half price because of COVID. So this woman, Michelle Diet Welcome, is the founder of Breathe Easy Coaching, and she is wanting to offer coaching during COVID um, and make it very, very affordable. Like I said, I cannot uh, and would not in any way, shape, or form share her price. But She's warm and engaging, and she wants to take your life to the next level. So if you're looking for somebody to help you change your life and you can't afford the fees, email me at Carol at Carol the Coach, and I will send you Michelle's information because during COVID, she's, she's willing to work on making it affordable for you. Now, i got to tell you, I am super excited today because we have Mark Dennison on the line, and he is a man who has worked diligently on his own recovery, and he works with men all across the nation on two very specific programs, um, 90-day recovery process, which is a specific workbook with daily readings and daily written exercises and weekly calls and then a new freedom group. So that's a 400-page workbook 
um, called Life Recovery Plan that I do believe is really where Freedom Groups originated. It was based on that workbook. So he's got some new groups launching, and I know that there are a lot of sex addicts and uh, partners who listen to the show, and this man is so determined to help communities out there, and he's found something that has produced real success. So I just want to welcome him to Betrayal Recovery Radio. Mark, how is it going? Carol, it's going great. How are you today? Well, I am wonderful. And, you know, this sounded like such exciting programming. Um, I know that, you know, you have seen these tools work for men, and you put them all together. I was wondering, you know, I would like to know a little bit about your personal background, and then I want you to talk about these tools. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Carol, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you and the listeners, my wife, Beth, and you. I know are very good friends, and the work she's done with uh, partners of sex addicts has just been amazing, and you've been such a friend to her and a mentor to her, and so we really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'm from Texas live in Florida now. Uh, Beth and I have been married for 37 years, and I was raised in Houston, Uh, went to a Christian university and seminary, and actually became a pastor. Did that for 31 years, and people are always amazed to hear that because I look like I'm 31, but I'm really not. So we um, did that for 30 years, and uh, during that process of doing the kinds of things that you do in successful pastoral ministry, uh, you know, really enjoyed it, wrote a devotional book, was a leader in my denomination, was on the board at my university, was a chaplain for the Houston Rockets, was doing really well in ministry, but also struggled with um, sex addiction, which goes back to my childhood. Had some instances in early childhood of trauma and abuse and isolation that um, I did not get in therapy for as soon as I certainly should have. Uh, became a lifelong sex addict, did not get into recovery until uh, 2013, and eventually uh, my past became known, and uh, by some key leaders in my church where I was pastoring at the time, and so we resigned from there. We moved to Florida to be near our son. We had one child, and had no idea what we were going to do then. But God just began moving in our hearts and saying, "Let your problem become your platform." Because in my research and my own recovery, I became aware that this is such an incredibly huge problem. Uh, For people within the church, which is my background, for pastors, uh, some studies show as many as 37% of pastors struggle with porn addiction. And so we felt a calling a few years ago to launch a ministry to help people uh, who struggle with these issues, Uh, something I never would have dreamed in a million years I'd be doing. And now uh, we love it. And we're having a blast. live here in Bradenton, which is about an hour south of Tampa. And I have beautiful beaches here. We're near our son and love the ministry we're doing and working with men that are in recovery as well as their spouses. Well, let me ask you, you you referenced that statistic about pastors. Do you have a a belief or a a speculative guess as to why pastors are prone to pornography? Yeah, I do. Um, I the first book I wrote on this is called Porn in the Pew, and I focused on that very mm-hmm. issue. 
And while there's not been, as far as I'm aware, any really good studies, extensive studies on that one issue, that one question, uh, we can see an overlap between uh, addiction and especially sex addiction and and pastors and the kind of traps that are there for them. For example, uh, one of those is isolation, and pastors tend to isolate. They don't have friends. They don't feel like they can talk to anybody. They don't feel like they can be vulnerable, and so they tend to isolate. And we know that addiction thrives in secrecy, and so that mm-hmm. just sets them up as a prime candidate. Another thing is that um, with pastors, there tends to be this hero complex that I've got to fix everyone's problem. And so they hear accolades of what, how great the sermon was, how wonderful they are, and they lose some humility. They use the ability to connect. They use the ability to maintain, um, you know, really a, a realistic view of life and themselves. And they just really struggle with any personal issue they have, getting it out, telling anybody about it. So they, they just walk in that secrecy. And they're, they're put on a pedestal. They're expected to be perfect. And so what starts out as a minor struggle uh, snowballs because they don't get help. They don't feel like they can trust anybody. Uh, a lot of the pastors I work with uh, don't even use their first name when they talk to me because they're so concerned about being, quote, found out. And so all of those really combine for them to um, – and one other thing, a lot of guys in ministry, uh, part of their calling seems to be a response to trauma in their, back, in their background in their past. Mm -hmm. And so because they've been traumatized, they want to help others. uh, And that's great, but they haven't dealt with their own pain. And that just sets them up for fall. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And certainly we see obviously a lot of priests, a lot of policemen, a lot of teachers that have problems with pornography and other types of compulsive problematic behavior. And, And you're right. When you're held up to a certain standard and you're on a pedestal, it is very hard to acknowledge that you got that openness, uh, I mean, that brokenness, and that you can't be open and you can't show that humility. And so you have really come forth to clean your life up and to help people with the very thing that keeps them from being able to be vulnerable. And that's, that's what your, your books are all about. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and, and one of the reasons I think that um, pastors tend to find me is because they feel safe, you know, with someone who's been there that gets it, that understands where they've been. But it's become a lot wider than that. Probably 40% of the guys I work with are in ministry, and obviously the others are not. Um, but each group has their own subculture. You know, one of the groups I'm going to be starting next week is just for doctors, physicians that wrestle with this. They have a lot of those same issues, a lot of stress. Um, and like pastors, there can be time that is not accounted for. There might be extra money somewhere. And there, there's a lot of stress there. A lot of professions have their own subculture. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, with pastors that are they have free time, they're put on a pedestal, uh, there's a lot of stress points that are what I call entry points to addiction. And if they're not really, really, really careful, uh, they don't. They never fall into this. They slide into it, and it's one little tiny step at a time. And then once they're there, they don't know how to get out. Mm-hmm. Well, you have, as you indicated earlier, you've written a lot of books. You've written Porn in the Pew, um, 365 Days of Sexual Integrity, Porn Free in 40 Days, 
90-Day Recovery Guide, Jesus and the 12 Steps, and the Life Recovery Plan. So tell us a little bit about this launch that you're working on and the two primary resources, your 90-Day Recovery Process and the Freedom Groups. Well, I appreciate the question. We, uh, As I was doing study before we ever launched the ministry, uh, went back to school, got a master's degree with a focus on addiction recovery, because I didn't want to do anything, so I had five years of recovery myself. So that was early 2018. And as a part of that research and, and doing the study and looking at so many other models that were out there, a man that I know you know very well, Dr. Milton Magnus, has become a very dear friend and mentor to me, read his material and, and all the other stuff that's out there. It became clear to me that 90 days seems to be kind of an optimum number of recovery. A lot of studies uh, going to 12-step groups for my own recovery. I go to two meetings every week and intend to do that for the rest of my life. And so mm-hmm. I settled on that 90-day period that most guys, when they get 90 days of sobriety, they seem to get over a hump. They've established new tools, new habits, new lifestyle where they can find sobriety. And so I focused on that. And so the book, 90 Day Recovery Guide, consists of 90 daily readings and 90 daily exercises. And they are built around a weekly theme so that each week as I take a client and he has the workbook, for example, just make one up. There's one of the weeks is on disciplines. And so for seven days, he will do read seven articles or devotionals that I've written on the disciplines necessary to maintain sobriety. And then there's a written exercise he does on each one of those. There's another week just on triggers. There's another one that focuses more on trauma, uh, house cleaning, how do I maintain this maintenance. So each of these 13 weeks over this period, the last one is just how to maintain it. They do their work. They do the exercises. I send them a daily devotional by email every day called the Recovery Minute. And I send them a Life Recovery Bible, which has a lot of great readings in it. But mostly this book is their main text. And then we talk. We do a call uh, every week for about an hour to go over their work. And during the week, they check in every day. That's part of the program. I want a daily call or or check-in. So every day, they tell me if they're sober. They tell me what they're doing to stay sober. They're telling me where their struggles are. If they've had a slip or relapse, I want to know that immediately so we can talk through that. And so when I put this together, uh, and we launched this two and a half, three years ago, it's been very successful. Of the men who've gone through this program, uh, at last check, we had a 90% success rate, meaning that there had been no relapse or slips in the 90 days. I'm sorry, and since the 90 days ended. For some of them, that's two and a half years. Um, but what that, the, the problem with that, it's not a problem, but what that led me to was, okay, a lot of these guys are calling me, and they've got sobriety. Sobriety, is for me, is defined as what you've quit doing. Recovery is what you've started doing. So a lot of them had really good sobriety, but they're calling me saying, what do I do for the next level? What do I do to maintain it? 90 days seem like a long time then, but it's been a couple of years. And so I've written this new workbook, The Life Recovery Plan, which is a one-year guide, 400-some-page workbook, And the focus of this is not how to find sobriety, but how to make it stick, how to avoid relapse, because so little has been done in that area. And so what I've done with this workbook is taken 52 topics of recovery 
And each week there's a weekly exercise as opposed to a daily exercise. So there's a daily reading I want them to do on recovery. So there's 365 readings uh, based around each of those 52 topics. Now, to your question, the groups that we're launching called Freedom Groups are based on that workbook. So I give the guy the workbook, and they go through it, and each week we do groups. Well, I'll start with five groups. One will be a local group here in Florida. The others will be done by Zoom. And based on the topic for that week, and the person has worked through the exercise for that week, and then we'll do a one-hour meeting based on that. Not a 12-step meeting. I'm not trying to replace 12 steps with this, but based on those different Mm -hmm. themes of recovery. And they don't build on each other. So if a guy comes in on week 17 or week 35, that's fine because each topic is a standalone topic. And the goal is that many guys will come into this and just stay in the group, not for a year, but literally for several years. Okay. And so obviously the goal of the group is to begin a practice that absolutely supports the recovery. And that's why you've written so many um, step guides, if you will. I know they're not step Mm-hmm. 12-step programs, yep. but, I mean, it really does take you 40 days, 90 days, a year into the process, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's because that's kind of how guys think. You know, uh-huh. we, we tend to be so um, compartmental in our thinking, and so it's like, give me the next step. How do I draw draw a map for me on how to get from where I am to where I need to go? In our freedom groups, we're going to strive every week to provide three things. I want to give them resources, uh, not just what's in the book. We're going to refer them to other resources that are out there. For example, your work, because so many of them, their wives, I mean, you know this a lot better than I do, they are left out there abandoned and struggling mightily. And so we want to give them resources. We want to give them community, meaning that we're going to encourage guys in these groups to exchange phone numbers emails, talk during the week, because community is such a huge, huge part of of recovery. And the other thing is just encouragement. I want them to feel encouraged. I want them to know that they're not defined by this addiction. They're not defined by this struggle. They can be encouraged that what's in front of them can be the best part of their life. So we're really excited. You know, I, I love writing. I love doing that. But I really enjoy the pastor part of me just loves the relational part of this, that uh, we have to connect guys because I've noticed in some of my 90-day work, I've worked with guys in, I mean, I don't know how many countries all over the world, but many of them are in isolation because of the COVID virus or for some other reason where they just don't know anyone to talk to. And so bringing these groups together, is, I think, is going to be a wonderful way to build communication and connectivity, which is so important for someone that wants to have a lifetime of uh, recovery. Well, yes, and as you indicated before, your wife, Beth Dennison, who wrote the 12-week recovery guide, um, she is going to be helping the women um, of the men who are in your freedom group, right? That's exactly right, and it will go back and forth. I mean, there are men, uh, women who have found her, who have referred their husbands to me, men that have found me that have referred their wives to her, and you know, which is kind of exciting. And we love to get on a call with the couples and see how they're working together uh, because that, again, for us, that, that's that's such a missing part. You know, if you 
if you go around the United States, for example, and you go to an SA group or an SAA group, Sexaholics Anonymous or Sex Addicts Anonymous, they both have programs for the spouse. But most groups, you, you have the SA meeting, there is no group there for the women. And I would guess maybe one in 10 where you find an SRSA group that has a group for the women, for the spouse. And they're, they're so left out of this. And so for us to tie this to the wives, and I'm constantly encouraging the men to encourage their wives to get into recovery because they can't just pretend it's not their issue. They're affected. They're traumatized. And so that's one of the blessings that we have in working together is that, is that Beth uh, has become trained in how to help the wives that have been traumatized by their husband's addiction. So, yeah, that's exactly right. We, I refer people to her all the time and vice versa. Yeah, so now let me ask you, um, you obviously have been diligent about being open, honest, and transparent about your own issues. Have you ever found that to work against you with your porn addiction? <laughs> yeah, Um you know, in the sense that you learn who you can trust and who you can't trust and who you can be open with. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of wisdom there. I've just decided I would rather err on the side of openness rather than not being open. And when you tell someone your struggle, you kind of take the bullet out of their gun. You know, for me, when I left my church, uh, it was not due to an affair. It was a situation where they knew I'd actually been in recovery for a year. My disclosure, I did a full clinical disclosure, uh, had been discovered mm-hmm. on my computer. And we had an agreement that um, they weren't going to share any details. They weren't going to fire me. I could resign on my own if I was willing to do that with severance. And so I did all that. And they, you know, said, we're not going to share this with anyone. It's not their business. We don't feel like you cross lines that we have to share that. And so my first instinct was tell nobody, you know, other than my recovery group. And uh, don't tell anybody. And I sought counsel. And I had people on both sides that said, uh, no, it's not their business. Other people, they don't tell their struggle. Why should you have to tell yours? And other people are on the other side of that. And so, you know, we moved. And for a couple of years, I didn't know what to do with that. And it was a very long process. And I just came with a conviction for me, doesn't mean everybody but for me it's such a huge problem and i want to see guys walk in freedom and i want to see wives walk in freedom and people can pick up a book and they can read that and get principles but people relate to people more than they relate to pages and i knew as a pastor that you can impress people from a distance but you influence them up close i mean i had a church of 2,000 members but where i made a difference was the one-on-one relationships And so we determine if we want to see other people break free, it's got to come from connecting with people and telling our story and being vulnerable. And it's cost me a lot of friends. I mean, there were people I thought were friends that don't return calls, but they're not there anymore. But we made a lot of friends. And, um, you know, I'm more concerned about reaching people and helping people that struggle with this uh, because it is so devastating. And we've discovered people like you that have been in this battle for a long time that we didn't even know existed before. And what encouragement it is to see what you do and so many thousands of women that you've helped. And so becoming vulnerable, there's a price to pay, but the the reward on the other side for us has been worth it. 
Well, and I really appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things about me is that I'm not a partner. And I really Mm -hmm. picked this profession based on my work with sex addicts. And sex addicts could get healthy, at least interpersonally in their own recovery, but their wives were so traumatized and there didn't seem to be enough face-to-face with them. And then um, I found out about APSATs, which both your wife uh, and I, Beth and Beth Benison and I are, are a part of, and we were so blessed to be able to learn the techniques to help partners, to be partner sensitive, and then, you know, I, t- I took it one step further. I know the two of you do too, and that is to help couples heal because it is so hard for couples to get past this um, and feel good again. And, you know, one of the things I know about both you and um, Beth is that by helping others, you really have fine-tuned post-traumatic growth. You took something really tough and you turned it around and now you're able to feel good about what you're doing with other people because you get to see their changes. Um, can you tell me something about your own post-traumatic growth? Because you, you said you've had some sacrificing to do by being open and honest, but you felt like that was the best thing to do. That was the most genuine thing you could do relationally. Can you tell me something about your post-traumatic growth? A post-traumatic growth, number one, benefit and blessing for me has been to be vulnerable and to be known and loved at the same time because I spent my whole life making a binary choice with every single person I knew I could either be known by them or I could be loved by them but not both and so Mm -hmm. everyone had to be in one camp or the other for just a very few I was okay with them knowing everything a counselor, a therapist, a pastor, but not someone that I would be close to, you know, because that was too dangerous. Uh, as long as you don't get close to them, they can't hurt you. So I would maintain a distance. So for for a few, I could be completely known. For others, I could be completely loved. I wanted to be loved. I'm a people pleaser. I wanted the church to love me. I wanted others to love me. I wanted my friends, my family, my son, everyone to love me. And so I had to make that choice for each person. But only once I got beyond the trauma, got through the therapy, got through the end of serious lifelong recovery, could I discover that it's actually possible to be completely known and fully loved at the same time, not by everybody, but by some. And, it, and that has been uh, such an eye-opener for me. It, does, it gives me a whole view of life, of God, of faith, of reality, of what really matters, of values. And so what has happened is there are so many things that I thought mattered before that really don't that I used to argue about, used to get involved in, you know, whether it was church doctrine or politics or whatever, that for me was just huge. And all of a sudden I'm realizing, wow, you know, as I move beyond trauma, I can actually be vulnerable and, and be happy with myself and realize that who I disappointed the most was me. And if I'm not good with me, I'm not good with anybody, you know. And so it is such a whole new way of life, a whole new way of connecting where relationships are real. And, um, boy, I I just wish I would have figured this out about 20 years sooner. Well, I get that. And and can you share with our listening audience, since you're good with being vulnerable, um, 
how how did you find repair in your own relationship with death? Well, disclosure. You know, I as we got into therapy, um, something that I discovered about women that I didn't understand. Uh, not sure I understand it now, but I know it's true. Is honesty. And for me, I was raised that you say what you need to say to make the next day go better. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. if that means shading the truth a little bit, you do it. You're trying to make everybody happy. You're just trying to exist. Uh, but she needed honesty, and I didn't understand that. And so when she began to discover some of the depth of my struggles and my addiction and my illness and my disease, I would do partial disclosure, just a little bit here, a little bit there. And she needed to know everything. And so I looked really hard to find a CSAT, and we're big supporters of CSATs. We really believe in that, uh, certified sex addiction therapist. I I looked for a CSAT who would not ask me to do a polygraph because I did not want to tell Beth everything. And, And part of that was I was really honestly trying to protect her from some things that I felt like I was no longer... Um, uh, losing to, but I wasn't able to do that. She's like, look, I've got to know the truth. I just have to. And so when I sat across from her in a therapist's office with the CSAT um, in 2013, early 13, and told her everything, read my story to her, that was when we got married. (laughs) You know, that was when the breakthrough happened. She had to see complete honesty. Um, She would have rather known everything and it'd be huge than not know everything and it'd be small it was so important for her to know everything and that's that was the day that healing could begin for us well that's wonderful and I'm so glad you brought that up because I know that so many sex addicts out there especially if they're they're wanting to come clean they're wanting to change their lives but they still have that fear of telling it all, they think, well, she already knows 70%. What difference does it make that I'm not giving her 30% more? It'll just hurt her more. But the truth of the matter is that is a partner's quest to find out the truth, and that means all the truth. And so you were honest enough to say you looked for that CSAT that wouldn't give you the polygraph, and then you did find a polygrapher that would test you after the disclosure? Yeah, and I I just knew that, I mean, Beth was like, you've got to do that. And when I finally agreed to do that, and uh, we saw the CSAT, and we did the disclosure and did the polygraph, I made a commitment to Beth uh, to do one. They asked me to do one six months later, and then a year after that, which I agreed to do. And I agreed to do one every year for the rest of my life. And that's still my agreement to her. That's still my commitment uh, the promise I make to her is I'm not promising I'm never going to act out again. I'm just saying it won't be today. And I've got to take it one day at a time. And, of course, mm. my goal is for the rest of my life. But uh, I can't. I, I quit making promises for days that God has not promised me. But I've also told her, and we were with a couple this morning and told them this, that um, I made that commitment to do a, a disclosure every year and a polygraph every year for the rest of my life. She quit asking for them after number four, uh, the fourth one, uh, but the mm-hmm. offer is still on the table. So if there's every day that she says, I'm really uncomfortable with something that I saw or something you're doing or you seem withdrawn, there, there's something here that, that just doesn't feel right, 
and she says, would you be willing to take a polygraph? She knows the answer to that is yes before she even asked the question. Um, and I love it. I used to hate it, but I love it now because I know that I am in total freedom from this, meaning not the temptations, but I know that if I have to go under the knife tomorrow, I'm totally good with that. And I'm, I'm weak enough and vulnerable enough that that helps me. Uh, I'm, I'm scared to death to know what would happen if she had said five years ago, okay, we're done. You know, I trust you now. You've been honest. Uh, now let's go on about life. Because if I, if I live life so much better knowing that I have to remain accountable for, uh, for my, my actions, both past and future. In fact, and maybe I shouldn't even say this, but in my PSAP training, uh, there are those who don't believe that, you know, in polygraphs that you should have to do a polygraph. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm just a huge polygraph person who's been converted to that, you know, obviously once before. And a presenter was making the case, you know, that, that to not do polygraphs because trust cannot be based on a machine. You have to build trust apart from that, which obviously I agree with that. But in the early stages of trauma and, and recovery, uh, my point was I worked with hundreds of sex addicts. I haven't found one yet who became more honest when you remove the threat of the polygraph. You know, I haven't found one yet who said, oh, I don't have to be tested for this. Well, then I'm going to be extra honest. And I'm fine with people who disagree with me on that point. I really am. But for me, looking into my wife's eyes and seeing the tears flow and the peace that came over her when she felt like she had safety and that I had been completely honest, that was a gift that I finally gave her that I would never want to take away. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And it it really sounds like you are doing that help her heal thing. You are having a lot of empathy for Beth, whether once, once she surrendered, you surrendered to what you needed to do to really rebuild your life and your coupleship, I mean, you've been going like crazy ever since. I mean, you just have, how many how many years recovery do you have? Seven years, and wow. and for me, what I what I tell guys that are you know coming into recovery is you've got to have three things if you're going to get there. You've got to be desperate. I mean, absolutely desperate. If you're ninety percent in, I tell them you're a hundred percent out. You got to be desperate. You've got to be surrendered to your higher power. For me, that's God, that's Christ, but you've got to be surrendered. You cannot do this on your own. And thirdly, you have to have community. You can't do it by yourself. You've got to have other people uh, beside you. Well, I believed that in 2013 and 2014, but now I believe even more that what it took for me to find recovery is what it takes for me to maintain recovery. So every day, um, I'm still, you know, I'm a 12-step guy, so... Uh, every morning, every afternoon, and every night, I pray the third step prayer of surrender. I pray the seven step prayer of surrender. I pray the serenity prayer, and I just ask God every day that I've got to maintain those three things. I've got to be desperate for it every single day. I've got to remain desperate for my own sobriety. I've got to be surrendered to God, and I've got to be in community. I've got to have other people. And so I'm having more fun than anybody I know because I get to do this 40 hours a week or 50 or 60 hours a week recovery work and that helps me you know the 12 step of the 12 steps is to give back and so by doing that helping others solidifies my own recovery my sponsor in 12-step work he tells me 
He says, you know, the only reason I sponsor you, I don't do it for you, I do it for me. And I sponsor guys through 12-step work, and I tell them that, that uh, helping them is what helps me. So what got me well is what it takes for me to remain well. Mm, that's a good point. I want to remind everybody that I am talking to Mark Benson, and Mark, you have a website. It's called org. Is that where they can sign up for the groups? Yes, Carol. They can go to therestillhope.org, and then there are several links there at the top. And, for example, resources and spouse, and I have something just for pastors. But there's a link for addicts. And if they click on the addicts page, that will take you to my 90-day recovery plan, which they can sign up for that, but also the freedom groups. And the freedom groups are based on the life recovery plan. Uh, that uh, there's the 90-day recovery, the short-term, and then the live recovery plan book is the workbook we use for the freedom groups. They launch next week, next Monday, actually. We have five different groups, and they can see all of that on there at therestillhope.org on the addicts page, and they can sign up for it. It's $10 a week to be in a group. If they're not able to afford that, they can, they can join us anyway. But they can get all the information there, and um, we'll love to hear from them. Uh, I'm I'm very free with giving out my cell number. Is that okay to give that number over the air as well? Absolutely, as well as your email right. address. Sure, you bet. Uh, if anyone would like to call or text me, my cell number is 941-526-4700. That's 941-526-4700. And my email address is Mark, M-A-R-K, at There's Still Hope dot org mark at there's still hope dot org and there's a lot of things we don't do well but one thing we do well is we respond pretty quickly so if anyone would ever like to talk to me just to have a conversation uh, i know there's a lot of women most of your listeners are probably women really encourage them to reach out to us my wife is beth at there's still hope dot org and she has so many resources coaching and her group for spouses, but um, would love for them to reach out to us and contact us anytime. Well, absolutely. And again, as we begin to wrap up for, for today's show, if you had to identify three things that men um, are going to gain from either your 90-day recovery process or your freedom group, what would you say they are? Well, that's a fantastic question. I would say number one is a relationship. Uh, it's They will have a relationship with me that they can have as long as they want it, and that goes beyond paying a little bit of money for some help. Uh, I love the fact that guys that have graduated from the 90-day plan two years later are still calling me every week just to check in, tell me how things are going, for me to be there for them, to encourage them. And so there's a relationship because we cannot do this on our own. There's got to be that relationship. And we are a new enough and small enough ministry that we really pride ourselves in that relationship. And so I want to be there for them. Secondly, they will find research resources. We, I did not just come at this from an experiential perspective that this is what worked for me. This is my own story. This is my own recovery but have really put a lot of research into this, uh, the 90-day plan as well as the, the, the one-year plan, the, the life recovery book, the freedom groups. And so they uh, will 
hear a lot of quotes from me, a lot of research from me. It's very research-based, so the resources from that, I think, are really helpful. And the last thing I think that they'll really gain from this is hope, and that's why we call ourselves There's Still Hope. There's hope. So many men, when they come to us, they feel like I'm desperate. Uh, There's no chance. I never promise them that their marriage is going to make it. I can't guarantee that, but I can promise them that they're going to make it. If they will take the steps to get in recovery, they will be happier. They will be more whole. They will be more at peace. They'll be more productive. There is hope. And we have been through hell and back uh, because of my addiction and my trauma and my struggles and my past. And we love to tell people that there absolutely is hope. There's still hope. Uh, No matter how dark it is, how difficult it is, we want to offer hope. Thank you so much, Mark. I wish you continued success Um, to have groups available at that price is unbelievable. And I heard you say that you can even waiver that fee, but I think anybody could afford what you're charging for your group. So continued success. I know you do a lot of speaking and, and, I mean, you just are working it in many, many ways. So God bless you and and to Beth, and hope to hear from you again when you've got another new book. Well, you sure will, Carol. Thank you for all you do, and we so appreciate this opportunity. All right. Make it a good one. Okay. Take Okay, so that was Mark Denison, and he's got those two great um Group starting out. If you think your husband would benefit it from it, or if you think um, you're an addict and you would like help, go to thereisstillhope.org or email him at mark at thereisstillhope.org. Uh, no reason for you to do this by yourself. And it's important for people to act as many resources as they can. It's all about you. That's why we're on the air, and that's what AppSats is about. I feel very, very blessed to be a part of an organization that is partner-sensitive and advocates for partners in every way. Well, listen, i got to go, but you know what I say. There will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. For more information, go to appsats.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.